Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Speak On It, History and Genealogy Conversations with Janice and Sherikana. We invite you to join us on Thursdays at 8 p.m. for an engaging exchange with us and our special guest as we cover various topics regarding history, genealogy, and your personal family history stories. Hello, I'm Janice Skilliard. And I'm Cherokana Feliciano. Welcome to Speak On It, History and Genealogy Conversations with Janice and Cherokana. Thank you for joining us, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Today, we are joined by our guest, Kathy Kanika Marshall. Lots of Roots investigation led Kathy Marshall on another thrilling journey into her family's tangled historical past finding black and white ancestors she'd never known, leading to places she'd never been, and uncovering secrets that did not want to be told. So how did Grandpa Austin Marshall put his son through medical school on a Pullman porter's salary? That question led Marshall into the Deep South, slave owners from the United Kingdom, and to numerous black and white cousins, living and dead, found through DNA analysis. To top it off, a congressional record tied Marshall's great-great-grandfather to a vote recall during Reconstruction in Tuskegee, Alabama. Marshall will share some of her insights and tips from her research journey. Welcome to Speak On It, Kanika. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you, ladies, and I love that you were carrying on Bernice Bennett's incredible legacy. Thank you so much. This is great. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's great to hear. (laughs) So to start us off, um, can you go, what do you recommend people keep in mind when doing African-American research? I think the number one thing is to understand that it is possible to find things about your heritage. It's, It's hard, but it's possible. So keep that bright light in mind. Um, it's it's really helpful if you become a member of some of the social media platforms, such as the African American Genealogy uh, Facebook pages, Our Black Ancestry, Genea, uh-huh. if that's the correct pronunciation. And then there are Facebook pages for specific counties and states. So so use social media to help you find your ancestors. And then, of course, there's Maggie, the Midwest African American Genealogical Institute, which is a phenomenal three-day class given every year, usually in July, I think. And it's going to be virtual in 2022. And they really, really hammer in how we can find our relatives, and, you know, documents about our relatives. It's, and it's fun. It's, it's great and it's fun. You've got excellent teachers. One thing that I keep forgetting, I have to keep reminding myself, look mm-hmm. at maps. look at the map of where your family lives versus today boundaries changed and it's important to know that just because Talbot County is on this document you got to know that Muskogee is right next door so don't freak out it's read all documents all of the documents that you get highlight the important parts parts that deal with your ancestors and then of course as Dr. Shelley Murphy says organize your research into folders either in your computer if you like that, or binders. You know, organize it by family and then person within family, and then by date, which is, you know, chronologically ordered. And then you can make a timeline 
of those events in your ancestors' lives. When you look at a timeline, it really, really helps you see the connections and what happened when. And then a, a favorite thing that's really important for me, because I normally have no information when I start these book projects, I look at a census and I find, well, where did my ancestor live? And I do a neighborhood analysis. That mm. means I look at all the neighbors, I look at the names, I look at their occupations, I look at every column on the census. One more time, please don't do what I did for 40 years and only look at the age. <laughs> And the sex, look at, look at the occupation, look at all those questions on the census. It's gold, and you can do a neighborhood yeah. analysis to find out your ancestor and how they fit in with the neighborhood. Do as much online research as you can, and then take a genealogy trip to the area. It is still important to do that. It really is. So those are my main, my main tips that, that are must-haves. You must do if you want to be successful with African-American research. And That's before we move advice. on, you were talking about the census records. Um, looking mm-hmm. at all of the columns is important because it talks about, it gives where the parents were born, um, the yep. occupation, mm-hmm. education, so much information, helpful information. Um, so, Kanika, when it comes to your family legacy, who are the Marshalls? Well, my paternal family is surnamed Marshall. And I was a feminist in the 70s when I got married, and I kept my <laughs> because I liked KLM, Kathy Lynn Marshall. KLM, it's beautiful. So that has a uh, ring to it, yes. <laughs> my paternal line. So my brother Greg, Greg Marshall, he's been a doll, and he's taken every DNA test I asked him to take. And he took a Y DNA test back in 2017. We got the results. And it proves that we come from a long line of Marshalls from Europe. Okay, he's got a, if you know anything mm. about DNA, it's a 111 test, and he matches a fellow at, um, you know, he's just one off. So 110 out of 111 markers, uh, Eddie Marshall. And so we know we're wow. Marshalls from where um, I met with a consultant from Family Search, a DNA consultant, and he reviewed my data. And he said, yep, there you go. Okay, cool. So now I want to know, okay, so who are they? For many years, I didn't want to know anything about Caucasian ancestors, but DNA don't lie. And I want to know now mm-hmm. who are they? So that's where the Marshall, the whole project came from, is wanting to know who are those Europeans. In the Marshall legacy, um, you know, the focus is on Austin Henry Marshall, right? And you share his journey noting that he's the narrator and he's speaking throughout the book, which is an interesting, um, you know, narration device. Can you share why you chose to do it that way? Yep. It's more interesting that way. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm a girl. I was a professional researcher, analyst, and technical writer for 36 years for the California Highway Patrol. I love numbers. I love charts and graphs, but most people don't. And I wanted these books that I write to be interesting. Um, So I'm a data girl, so that means I love the genealogical proof standard. I love facts. And I want to be a nonfiction writer. I don't want to be making up stuff. But I also don't want to just dump data. I don't want to mm-hmm. dump facts. I want my grandchildren to want to read these books. I want every level of, of people to read the books. Um, I do have a couple of college words here and there, but for the most part, it's very readable. But I want to communicate the stories in an interesting way that everybody can read and get something out of. So in order to do that and, and, and broaden out my ability to write more than numbers, I joined several writing groups because I want to bring you mm. know, the heart and 
of these ancestors to life. I want you to read. I want you to hear their words. Um, and it's a lot easier to maybe visualize who they are and how they live. So as an example, for most of the chapters in part one of the Marshall Legacy, you're right. I chose to let my grandfather, Austin Henry Marshall, tell his story from his lips. Now he's dead. So mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not <laughs> I have some of his letters, right? And so I kind of know his level of education. I kind of know how he puts words together. I met him one time in 1966 when I was little, but I remember it very, very vividly. And so I can imagine his dialogue based on some of the information that I have about him. I know through newspapers in Cleveland where he was, what he did, how he dressed, what he was interested in, blah, blah, blah. So in another chapter... His um, uh, grandfather, the Reverend Israel Smith, tells his story, which is remarkable. And then another story, I maybe let um, Grandpa's grandmother, Laura Ligon, my great-great-grandmother, Laura Ligon, I let her describe Mm -hmm. her life. So, you know, I've got a lot of facts that I look at, biographies, slave narratives, and a lot of times I wake up with the words coming out ready to be typed into the manuscript because Mm. I surround data. I am retired and that is an advantage because I can, <laughs> you know, do this all day long. But all I have to do is type them up. I wake up and I type up those words and I like to believe the ancestors are telling me write it this way. And I think it's so much right. more interesting and easier to imagine what their lives were like this way. That's yeah, a very cool. creative device for sure. Yeah, and I try to make one of three main highlights as far as the Marshall legacy during your research that you discovered that you would like to share with our listeners. Okay, well, for me, I think one the one that really stands out I mentioned briefly a couple minutes ago. um, The most incredible highlight was finding a congressional record. This is you know Congress. This is big stuff. Mm-hmm. This, and, and don't ask me the Google search terms that I use because I can't recreate it. But I found a congressional record that involves <laughs> my great-great-grandfather, the Reverend Israel Smith, and the voter recount, hello, in 1870. So the Alabama presidential election was fraught with, mm-hmm. and so they did that thing. My guy is mentioned. He was deposed. I have his exact words, the description of what happened, what occurred in a church in Tuskegee. The that details, so cool. names of white gangs, names of the black folk involved. It tells what my, grand, my great-great-grandfather did in this particular incident that was used to help justify recounting the election in 1870. It's fantastic. Anyway, so I was able to take the facts <laughs> from the record and turn them into believable and thrilling, dare I say, Dialogue. So that's in Chapter 4, which is entitled Papa and Booker T. Anyone know about Booker T? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting, it's, um, it's, you know, researching and Googling and using newspapers.com, and you mentioned Booker T. Washington, and I have an ancestor that lived in Hartford, Connecticut, and he hosted, he was in charge of hosting the dinner for him. So newspapers, wow. researching on Google, especially Google Books, can uh, tell us so much. So I, I, I believe in that. We Sometimes we tend to think doing the research that, oh, I'm not going to find anything of significance, but you would be mm-hmm. amazed at what you find. Um, and we they also are really read that Austin, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. 
head. And yeah, they are really digitizing a lot of newspapers. So even if you didn't find anything last year, try again this year. Right. Oh, that's good advice. Yeah. Good point. Now you mentioned you mentioned that Austin Henry Marshall was a Pullman porter. Can you share what his experience was? Um, it was it was like most Pullman porters, where you know in the, in the black community, a Pullman porter was kind of high on the status, at least. You know, they were considered middle class, and they had this beautiful uniform, and they looked sharp and everything. But people really didn't know what it was like being a captive audience in a, a car, a train car, with 25 to maybe 50 people that you have to service. And um, mm-hmm. it was very difficult work. They were paid almost nothing, $80 a month. Can you raise a family on $80 a month? Wow. But the tip, mm-hmm. the tip. That's where the Monet is. And so he had the <laughs> whatever they had to do, and y'all step and fetch it might come to mind. They had to do what they had to do to get those tips. And so right. it was a very tough. So I'd like to really um, let your, your listeners know of a really fabulous book if they want to know more about Pullman Porters. And it's called Rising yep. from the Rails. And it is a fantastic book, and it's actually on YouTube. So you can type in writing from the rails in YouTube, and you can actually see a video of that story. It's phenomenal. So, um, yeah, so it was tips is what they needed. And my grandpa was able to put my dad through the Ohio State School of Medicine in 1958, and my Aunt Patricia through Oberlin College on a Pullman Porter's salary. I got wow. it, though. He did also own a funeral home. So uh, his wife, my grandma, ran the funeral home with Grandpa's uh-huh. brother, Thomas. So they did make some more ducats. But but anyway, right. this was a Pullman from, uh, I think, New York through Chicago was his line. And, uh, he There's actually him. a website dedicated to uh, Pullman Porters um, as well. I was uh, looking at that earlier this week. So, again, you know, there's so much um, historical information that's out there for us. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. Yeah, I, and I didn't even think about that with the tips. You know, that's a good point for sure, yeah. yeah. He always had coins. They were silver dollars, and if he was lucky, he got two silver dollars as a tip from each person. Sometimes he got nothing. Sometimes he got a spit in the face, mm-hmm. you know. But but he lived for those $2 tips. And he said, you know, some of the movie stars that came through, the ones that didn't tip at all and the ones that were mm-hmm. fabulous, like Jack Gleason, Jackie Gleason was fabulous. They loved him. Oh. Just, Ronald Reagan would, and he didn't give nothing. <laughs> Are we, Ronald Reagan <laughs> gave no, gave no tip. Get us started. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So during our previous conversations, you stated that researching, documenting, and sharing our family history, these are your words, quote, it's not a goal, it's a mandate, which was yes. amazing. Um, can you share with us why you're so passionate about this, and do you plan to write um, any additional works? Okay. Um, I'm passionate because I'm getting up there in age. And when you start hitting some milestone decades, y'all aren't there yet, but when you start hitting some milestone decades, you start looking back over your body of work. And the fact was I had been collecting hundreds of documents since 1976, and I didn't do anything with them. You know, I'm, hmm. I'm living the sixth year of my life in 2016 and I got all these documents that are a mess and you start thinking about you know the inevitable and what's yeah. going to happen to all the work 
it's going to get thrown away. And so I was really um, fretting in 2016, a lot of stress because I didn't know what to do. And then um, I heard this advertisement for a webinar from the genealogist writing room on October 1st, 2016. And I was ready to hear how I could write my family's stories. I was ready. Now, the lady, Anita Henderson, she said what everybody says. Well, just start by writing what you already know. Start by what you right. know. That everyone knows that. But I was ready to hear it. And she also said something about write a first edition book. Realize and accept that you may not be able to find all of your answers. You probably won't be able to. So just know uh-huh. that up front. But write about what you did find and write about what you wanted to find but didn't in the first edition book and just say a couple of years I'll come back when there's more information online or whatever, and I will, in a second edition, I will finish up all of my questions, my goals. And so right. that, key, it, it just, you know, it, anyway, I started, started saying to myself, well, I would never tell my California Highway Patrol boss that, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do that assignment. You're going to have to give it to somebody else. I had to do right. it. So when the ancestors wouldn't let me sleep until I wrote their story, mm. They became my boss. I started imagining my ancestors as being my boss. This is not mm. a project side and go out and party and all that stuff. I need to get the stories done. I need to get the books done. I need to get a first edition book done. And so I finally figured out that I could use the same quick start method that I had used and taught to 600 analysts at the Highway Patrol. And I could use that same process for writing paperback books. Now, you don't mm. have to write a paper. There's a lot of alternatives, but that's what I personally prefer to do so I can hand it to my family. So it then became I must self-publish one family history book a year. That's my mandate, not a goal. That's my mandate. And wow. so my passion is to, is to let you know you can do this. You can't bite off, though. And most of us say, I'm going to write a book about all my family. You can't write one book about all your family. Focus it on like one person. Just right. About it's very tempting. <laughs> Let me tell you, I wish you could be here with me. I am looking at my piano, and on my piano, I have all these books. I have I have published five books so far, and that is wow. the motivator. Once you get one, then you want to get a second one next to it, and then a third one and a fourth one. That's what keeps me going. Once you see it the first time, once you touch and hold even a draft book. I print out drafts every two months using Amazon's Kindle, mm. KDP.com, because once you do it the first time, it's real easy to write a, to print a second copy. And those those drafts in my hand, I see that I'm actually doing it. I'm actually writing a book. And as long as you just keep your, don't be Mr. or Mrs. Perfectionist, that I have to get everything. Right. I have to answer all my questions. Don't worry about that. Pick three. Pick four things that you want to tackle. And give yourself you know, if you can. I know those of you who are working still, it's really hard. I, I do understand. But, yeah, I, but we, we appreciate so you my, saying that. <laughs> believe me, I, I could donate maybe two hours every three months to genealogy. That's one of the reasons it took me 40 years. <laughs> um, but but it is, it's hard. But it is possible if you focus and think small. Isn't it better right. to have a one? Hundred page book. There are several people, people from Maggie who I met. I'm going to shout out Camille Johnson. Hello, Camille Sister Johnson. <laughs> yes, she yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Published books. 
you can, you, they don't have to be 300 pages. Hers are like right. 80 pages, you know. That's fine. Right. She's got a ton right. of information in those books, and she can easily hand them to her family. So you can do it. Just just bring down your expectations of having to do Breaking all down, at once. Right. Just focus on right. one. Or that everything has to be perfect. You know? <laughs> right. That's excellent when advice. We had that conversa- yeah. Yeah, when we had that conversation, it was very helpful because, you know, I have several ancestors that I'm working on, and, I, and initially I was thinking, okay, you know, I want to write about all of them, and I'll just have, right. you know, do different essays and all. And as soon as you said that, it's something that's very simple. The light came on, and it was like, okay, just one at a time. One at a time. Yeah, yeah. One yep. at a time. Same here. It, it got more doable for me when I did the same thing. At least, you know, I have it in separate sections or there's an Excel. I have a spreadsheet and I try to divide it. It's just it's much more doable that way because otherwise it can be very, it can get overwhelming. It, it can. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yes, I did. <laughs> you asked me about books. Yes, I'm in the process of writing a book of my ex-husband's uh, family. And then I also am in the process, even though I, but this, this one's almost done. That one's almost done. And I'm in the process of finishing a book um, about, uh, that describes the amazing genealogy trip that I took to Georgia and Alabama mm-hmm. this May, COVID May. And I traveled with the sixth great granddaughter of our slave owner. Hello. Wow. Hello. So she and I, Amy and I, were in the same car traveling all around Georgia seeing where the slave owners and enslaved lived and worked and talking with other relatives that we met through DNA. So those of you who haven't taken a DNA test, you say, oh, they're going to clone me and all that. I'm telling you, if you're serious about finding out about your family, you've got to get a DNA test along with yeah. traditional genealogy. You have to, for most of us. I don't like a lot of you, like, yeah. like Bernice especially, she has a lot of cousins that she grew up with. I grew up with none. We're out in California. Right. My family's all Ohio. I didn't know anything. And, you know, we are now the elders. So DNA is really helpful. So um, that book that I'm writing on is um, going to be out next year. And um, I think I should call it Car Talk or something like that because we <laughs> had some interesting conversations in that car. And we, stayed, we, we shared a hotel room also and, uh, it's like Sharon Morgan. Y'all know Sharon Morgan from Our Black Ancestry? Yes, Our Black Ancestry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wrote a book called Gather at the Table, where she traveled with a white uh, fellow, and they did something, not, not exactly similar, There's, was, but they were going to their family home and writing the book from the black's perspective and the white perspective. Very interesting wow. if you haven't. She was at uh, Roots Tech this past year talking about her adventure. But anyway, right. so that that going to be perhaps like a how-to book if you want to do the same thing. Here are the lessons that I learned. <laughs> right. I have a, um, I've been asked what's your uh, Twitter handle. Uh, someone wants to uh, put it out oh, there if you'd like to share it. I actually don't have a Twitter handle. I don't do Twitter. I do do Facebook. I have Facebook pages for each of my books, and I do do Instagram, uh, which is Kanika Marshall Art Books. But the Facebook pages are the names of the books. So, like, The Marshall Legacy would be one Facebook page. Um, you know, The Mystery of Margaret Booker is another Facebook page. Finding Daisy is another. Finding Otho was my very first success ever, and that's kind of like a research book, as well as mm-hmm. having some stories. That is my biggest effort. 
And then uh, the first one that I actually published was The Ancestors Are Smiling. They each have their own Facebook page. And so you can look back, and I use it kind of like a blog, so a blog for each one. Right. But I haven't, I haven't done Twitter. I, it's too much. I had to stop. Okay. <laughs> it can be too <laughs> much, yes. So for our listeners whose primary focus is on family history and genealogy, what do you think they would be able to glean from your family research and what you've been doing? What do you think um, they'll find in the book that would help them? Well, since most, since I hardly know anything about any of my projects when I start, I have to start with a census document, generally. Um, So I may know the 1870 census. I do a neighborhood um, analysis, and so I write about that. This is how I start every book. I start with what I already know. That means if I have a census, I look at it, I read it, I analyze it, I look at all the – so so. If your family lived in Columbus, Georgia, as an example, or Tuskegee, Alabama, Mm -hmm. as an example, I have picked those really hard. And then I go and I investigate the place where my ancestor lived. So like one whole chapter is of my grandfather showing Columbus, Georgia, his hometown, to my grandmother. So I use a lot of citations all throughout the book. Whether or not that's kosher or not, I don't care. I think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go and do additional research based on one of my citations, you can. Um, I also have information about the Great Migration. In our case, mm-hmm. it's from Georgia to Cleveland. Same thing. Cleveland is there, the history of Cleveland, the history of blacks in Cleveland, businesses that were there. I write about all those things from the point of view of like a, a tourist, maybe. Um, right. And so you right. have information about that. I also hit historical events super hard. So many black folks went to World War I. And so I have a chapter on what that was like for my grandfather to be in France in World War I. It was, it was terrifying and it was fantastic all at the same time. Right. Those of you who have family who went to World War I may benefit from some of those um, citations that I have in our stories. Um, so those are some things. And then this one time uh, for my very first book, when I didn't know what I was doing, a friend of mine who was an author, she says, oh, you got to put that into a book uh, competition, okay? I said, no, really? So we go to the awards dinner, and a judge kindly comes up to me, and she says, kind of like your question at first, nobody's going to care about your family's stories except your family. And she said, well, why not broaden hmm. your books out a bit? And so instead of getting all huffy and upset, I decided to say, oh, well, let me think about that. So now each of my books contains a chapter in it called Solving Your Mystery, and it contains all of my personal hints and tips on um, how to organize the uh, manuscript, what resources may help you, and that includes links and websites and all that stuff, how to finish your manuscript, which includes editing, layout, stuff like that, how to self-publish it to lulu.com, that's L-U-L-U.com, or Kindle, which is kdp.com. Or there's a lot of other ways that you can communicate your stories. You don't have to do a paperback. So I have all that in this chapter, and it's they're like yep, one-liners. Yeah. Okay? I also have a YouTube channel. So I have over 100 videos on that YouTube channel. Some of them are writing-related videos. And most of those, though, that are writing-related, I have unlisted. If you're interested, just contact me at kanika at kanika.us, 
K-A-N-I-K-A, at K-A-N-I-K-A dot U-S, and I'll send you the link. I have a video that is um, basically a presentation that I gave a couple weeks ago at the Writers' Conference here in Sacramento area, and that talks about how to start your first book. So for those of you who haven't started it yet, these are some ideas. It's not the end-all. I'm not the end-all on how to write a book, but it does work for me. It's a simplified way of writing a focus book. And I also have another video that shows me actually self-publishing my fourth book. So you can actually see what that process wow. is like. It's free. To self-publish is free. Do you hear me, people? It's not thousands <laughs> of dollars. It's free. Effort. I love your I love your passion for um, oh just sharing, inspiring, and encouraging uh, folks to go ahead and do the work. And it may be challenging, but it's not difficult. Yeah. And I believe that we all have a responsibility, um, you know, to our ancestors and to you know those coming behind us to research, document, and share your family history. It's so important to do it. Um, I always, you know, I share quite a bit about. When I started, there was nothing. And, you know, I said, well, how many children did my great-grandparents have? They were like, oh, seven, eight. Oh, wait, no, ten. So I started on both sides, my maternal and my paternal side, doing the research. And so now it's been about 25 years. And at our family reunions, I, you know, I speak to everyone, but I let the children know it won't take you 25 years to find out you know, where your family came from. So part two of my question is, what should be done to ensure that your family legacy isn't lost? Preserving your family history, leaving copies with the local historical society, what else do you recommend? Well, certainly what you said, my family gets books for Christmas presents. They They get family books for Christmas presents, and they better keep them on their bookshelves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I also sell my books from my website. I, I um, have sold them in local bookstores. You do not have to sell your books, though. I mainly, I usually donate books. So to the Beverly Heritage Center in Beverly, West Virginia, they've got some of my books, the um, Mystery of Margaret, Margaret Booker. Um, at my annual art shows, I give presentations, and that's a great opportunity to be able to share with people the books. They may help. My books may help right. you. They may not. For sure that solving your mystery chapter will probably help. But also I send copies to the Library of Congress um, and to local libraries and university libraries where my family lived. I send them to historical centers where my family lived. Um, My wonderful editor, Jean Cooper, she catalogs my books on WorldCat, so they're available to the uh, collegiate. And I enter book competitions because that kind of helps to just get the word out there. And, okay, Mr. Rick, uh, what, what, what's Mr. 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 Genealogy, Rick Murphy? Rick Murphy. Um, <laughs> so I was at the AUGS, the African American Historical and Genealogical Society Conference last week, and he again rekindled my resolve to join yes. the lineage. Um, yeah, part of this is, yep to get into the Daughters of the American Revolution. I didn't want to do it just from ethical reasons. But, but what, how, what he said is lineage societies will make sure your data, your historical family data, will be safeguarded forever. Right, and that right. And 
Um, same with sons and daughters of the U.S. Middle Passage. Yes. So if you yes. document your enslaved family, which I have done one, I need to do five more. I need to get them in there. And then Sofafia, um, I don't remember the exact, but it's the first, you know, the first Africans, basically. Um, and this is a new lineage society, S-O-F-A-F-E-A. You remember, I was supposed to write mm-hmm. right out. That's correct. I believe that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Society of the First Africans. I'm sorry, Rick, I failed you. But anyway, um, so, so <laughs> I want to apply. I excuse me. I need to apply. I need to put it on my schedule to put in those applications. I need to do a better job of sending those books out when they're published. And number one, I got to better organize my research materials and have my living trust explicitly say how my sons are to divvy up and distribute those genealogy materials. Like, you know, some right, of my genealogy right. go to Ohio for the Williams family and Myers and, you know, but then part of it should go to Columbus, Georgia, right? This Marshall book right. I got to send to Talbot County and I got to send to Muskogee County and all that. So I need to do a better job of that. But that's actually that, a, that that's works. a good point. And then ancestry too. Have have your family trees on end and have them tight. <laughs> Correct them. Right now, mine are a mess. Right. Correct them. People coming behind you have access and put your research on there. Share it. I know some people want to keep it all to themselves. Make it a public tree and share it. But make sure it's accurate. just. Just yes. um, out, because Rick Murphy's organization is important, um, Society of the First African Families of English America, and, it's, and you were correct, S-O-F-A-F-E-A dot org. And then there's Sons and Daughters of the U.S. Middle Passage. There's also OGS. There's so many different um, really good organizations out there to become a part of to assist in your research and documenting and just making sure mm-hmm. that your family legacy continues. So, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and you made a very good point too about thinking about it, you know, and r- making a trust, and you know, where do things go, and what happens mm-hmm. when you pass away. So that's actually a really, really good point. So that's lastly, with everything. That's with uh, Facebook, with uh, Ancestry.com. Mm-hmm, very true. If you don't put that in writing, or I think they all, they all have links um, where you can settle that. Make sure uh-huh. you set it up in advance. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's, it's good stuff to think about. Is. So yep, yep. our time is almost over. Um, we really, really did enjoy speaking with you. Um, so before we go, what are some parting words and inspiration you would like to share with our listeners? I think the most important thing really is to know that you can do this. Just scale down, focus your efforts more, bring it down, but you can do this, even if you're still working, even if you have kids and spouse and all that. Um, you know, again, mine's not the end all, but the tips and hints in my Solving Your Mystery chapters and in my books may help you. They may help you get yeah. going. So if you're interested, contact me at Kanika at Kanika.us if you want those links to the videos that I have that, that show what the self-publishing process is, how the book gets from your computer to an actual heart, you know, an actual book that you can hold, how that process works. I, I have a video on that. And then also, um, if you just want to maybe have a link to the presentation I just gave on how to get started with your first book, um, you can get in touch with me and uh, register for Maggie 2022, get those DMs. Yes. <laughs> you know, seriously, well, again, they can't close 
with your little spittle. They really won't. They're not going to do that. They might do it to like a really rich person or like a brainiac scientist, not to say you're not smart, but they're not going to do us little people. They're not, you can't, they don't know how to clone people yet. But anyway, so just do it. You can do it. <laughs> write their story. Write their stories now and make your ancestors smile. You'll feel so good once you start. That's, That's it beautiful. For me. That's beautiful. Kanika, thank you so much for sharing with us and our listeners. All of Kanika's books and art are available on her website, kanikamarshall.com. To our listeners, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to sharing with you during our next segment of Speak On It. Speak On It is a podcast and is immediately available to listen to at your leisure. Speak On It is sponsored by Bernice Bennett of Research at the National Archives and Beyond Block Talk Radio. Thank you.